From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, John Moore joins us to talk about stratospheric aerosols and their effects on hurricanes. So stay tuned for all this here on the Grok Science Show. Welcome back to the program, and joining us today is our special guest, Dr. John Moore from the College of Global Change and Earth System Science at the Joint Center of Global Change Studies in Beijing, China. Dr. Moore, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you. So you've done some very interesting work in geoengineering or models to, to predict the effects of geoengineering, but perhaps you could give us a little background first on some of the science in your study, uh, aerosols and their effects on the atmosphere. To begin with, what exactly are aerosols? Okay, aerosols are uh, very small particles that uh, can stay in the atmosphere for quite a long time. Um, I guess mostly there are a few uh, micrometers in in size. And uh, the aerosols that we're particularly interested in are ones that are in the stratosphere. Uh, in the in the lower atmosphere, where we've got the weather, aerosols tend to be flushed out by rain and snow within a, a week or ten days. But above the uh, the tropopause in the stratosphere, they can remain well for uh, perhaps a year or two up there. So they have a much longer lasting effect. And the kind of effects we're talking about are their radiative properties in particular. So uh, some aerosols like sulfur dioxide that are emitted from volcanoes are uh, injected into the stratosphere, say uh, 25 kilometers elevation. And uh, it's known that these large volcanic eruptions, such as Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines, which erupted in 1991, can cool the climate of the Earth. And that's because these particles reflect back some of the incoming solar radiation to space, uh, acting like a mirror that um, cools the, the Earth's surface. When you say stratosphere, is that uh, elevations above, uh, say, five miles or um, more than that? Yeah, it, it varies between the, the equator and, uh, and the poles. It's lower at the poles. Uh, but yeah, we, we're really talking, um, I'm used to thinking in kilometers rather than miles, but we're, yes, we're, we're talking uh, a little bit higher than where the, um, the airliners are typically flying, but not, not very much higher than that, actually. Which, of course, makes it kind of interesting because uh, it means that this particular kind of climate engineering is something that is relatively feasible to do because it's already within the kind of range of commercial airliners. These aerosols, uh, I mean, there's a lot of chemistry behind them and 
I think what we hear often are like the NOx and the SOx and uh, carbon particulates. In terms of the their effects, are they equal? Do they have the same reflective properties or do some of them have absorptive properties? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the, the thing, if you wanted to change the, the climate of the Earth and uh, as a way of counteracting greenhouse gas emissions, then you, you want specific properties in particular. You, you want them to be chemically neutral so they don't create adverse reactions with other uh, natural species in the atmosphere. And you don't want them to be changing the conditions there uh, by absorbing a lot of, of radiation. So you want them to be essentially uh, mirrors there. And uh, something absorb, very absorbing like, uh, like black carbon, people have done a few experiments on the computer with those, and they have very, very serious deleterious effects that we don't want to have. Sulfur dioxide has been studied because it's a naturally emitted in large quantities by these volcanic eruptions and of course it plays a large role in smog such as we enjoy in Beijing uh, very often. So yeah, I should emphasize that the kind of experiments that we're doing are on computers, they're not uh, in the real world and no one I think would seriously consider using a, a, a chemical aerosol uh, such as uh, sulfur dioxide because it's known to have damaging effects on things like stratospheric ozone. Uh, but the point is that we want to do these experiments with the, with the Earth system models on the computers with things that are uh, quite well uh, simulated by these computers. And in reality, if people ever wanted to do climate engineering, they would certainly use a type of aerosol that, um, that probably would be manufactured specifically for the, for the purpose. I don't know if this is anecdotal or, or circumstantial, but regarding black carbon, um, so you said it absorbs the heat, but it also alleviates the greenhouse gas effect, or does it make it worse? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I, I didn't do any of that research myself, but uh, I, I certainly remember a paper, and uh, the, the kinds of things that it does, of course, it, because it absorbs so much uh, of the energy while it's in the stratosphere, then it warms the stratosphere considerably. And uh, if I remember, it was by tens of degrees, which is, uh, uh, again, not the kind of thing you want. You want something to be quite inert while it's in the, in the atmosphere. So I guess if you're warming the stratosphere and absorbing a lot of energy there, then yes, uh, perhaps you would get some, some cooling down at the, the surface. Would the logical conclusion be that that if you stop all the coal firing plants, then actually global warming might get worse. But does that make sense or not? No, no. I, I think that, yeah, it's kind of um, important to remember where you're putting this stuff into the atmosphere. So uh, the effects, for example, of, of, of ozone are, are ozone is a very effective um, or very reactive gas. So in the troposphere, it's very bad for human health. But of course, we know that the ozone in the stratosphere uh, absorbs the, the damaging uh, ultraviolet radiation. And so that doesn't reach the Earth's surface. So ozone in the stratosphere is very good. And also, you know, the, the smog I spoke about when you've got the, the, the sulfur dioxide as a result of combustion processes, coal burning fire stations, etc. That's a tremendously bad thing in the troposphere 
and uh, it certainly causes huge health problems. That's something that we have to look out a lot in China. Uh, but of course, in the stratosphere, people aren't breathing in that uh, that mix of air. And so, in a way, you could say it, it doesn't have as damaging effects on human health. But as I, as I said, in the right circumstances, the sulfur dioxide can damage the ozone layer in the stratosphere. And that in itself is probably a, a strong enough reason not to use it for climate engineering. So you've written a very interesting paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences could you tell us a little bit about this work and what implications it has for geoengineering? Uh, yeah, okay, so this is a, a paper where we wanted to see if geoengineering uh, might stop some of the impacts of uh, anthropogenic climate change due to rising temperatures. And this is a study that uh, people haven't really tried to look at impacts in this kind of way before. Because to date, what we have are essentially you've got the analogues of what happens when a volcano erupts, a large volcano, which of course doesn't happen very often. Or you have these uh, computer models of the whole Earth system. But these computer models are quite low resolution, usually uh, maybe 200 kilometers in a, in a grid cell. So it's difficult to get really uh, good impacts on scales that people are interested in, such as on cities, etc. So the particular impact that we're looking at are Atlantic hurricanes. And uh, we thought geoengineering might be good as a way of controlling Atlantic hurricanes, because what you find is that when you introduce aerosols to the stratosphere, the tropical areas cool relatively more than the polar areas. And since hurricanes form in the tropical oceans, uh, it would seem on the surface to be a, a thing where climate engineering with aerosols might be uh, a good way of stopping some of these damaging flooding from the hurricanes. So I'm curious about this. Um, how would you implement this? Would it be like seeding the clouds where you would put particulates, say, close to where the hurricanes are forming? Well, um, I guess... <laughs> That's, that is the engineering side of things, but um, whereas we're studying the science. But as I said, uh, the uh, aerosol stratospheric injection is relatively cheap. I mean, it's been costed at something between 10 and $100 billion a year, which is far cheaper than uh, trying to really <coughs> tackle the problem by reducing CO2 emissions. Uh, so that's why it's attractive to, to some probably governments. But I mean, the, um, the, the ways it can be introduced are, for example, by, um, by taking it up there by planes or maybe using artillery to, uh, to launch uh, shells up there into the stratosphere. Um, yeah, that is relatively feasible to do. The amount of SO2 that would be needed to be put in the stratosphere is of the same order of magnitude as the total weight of uh, commercial airline traffic at the moment. So in, in a sense it's feasible. I mean I, I think I want to emphasize again no one really wants to do this and it's not sure, certain that it would work in the way that you want it to do. Indeed that was 
one of the results of the paper that that uh, although you would think on the on the face of it that maybe this kind of uh, climate engineering would be successful for hurricanes, in fact it turns out that there is a lot of other interactions that you need to take into account that end up reducing the effectiveness uh, quite a lot. And uh, I can explain in more detail those if you like. Well, you know what they say, climate change is an experiment we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in a very real sense, uh, introducing CO2 as we're doing now, when we know it, when we know it affects the climate, is exactly a kind of geoengineering. So uh, it's a little bit of a state of denial to, to sort of say that we don't want to do geoengineering because of some kind of moral or ethical reason that we shouldn't damage the environment. We already are damaging the environment in a very knowing way. So it looks like you're working in a very timely topic. Um, I'm just curious, how, how did you get involved in this field and what do you think is the most uh, interesting development these days? Uh, well, actually, I, I, I'm a glaciologist originally, so I've, I've been working in the Antarctic and Greenland and ice masses in general for many, many years. And one of the key aspects is, of course, how much ice is melting and uh, how sea level will rise as a result of it. So um, then about five, six years ago, I moved to China. And of course, as I said a few times, in China, you get this uh, very real feeling of people directly changing the environment they're living with uh, all the time. And that, that's, they've done that all the way through history in terms of irrigation for crops and again right now up to this super rapid industrialization that's causing so much pollution. So uh, that turned my mind to geoengineering and uh, how that might be useful in terms of sea level rise. Uh, so I wrote a paper about that and then the, the Minister of Science here in China said, um, oh we'd like you to put together a Chinese geoengineering research program and um, so basically I took it from there. It took, a, took about five years to, to find the people and put all this research together. But now we've just uh, launched this research program here in Beijing. And as we very well know, uh, the climate negotiations, COP21, is going to be held in Paris next month. And one of the consensus, or at least acknowledgement uh, from last year, is the need to meet a, a two-degree target, a uh, two-degree rise above uh, pre-industrial temperature of the planet. Uh, recently, there's been the announcement that uh, we've already reached a one-degree uh, increase, and that last year was the hottest temperature recorded. Do you think, you know, based on your understanding of science that we will be able to achieve the two degree target? Well, uh, I, I think there's, there's essentially no chance of being able to do that. I mean, the fact is that there's a huge amount of, uh, of inertia in, in some parts of the system, especially in terms of the ocean absorption of heat and CO2. More or less the only way that this kind of a target could be met, I think, is with some kind of geoengineering where you either reduce, remove the CO2 from the atmosphere or we um, do this solar radiation management by trying to block incoming radiation. I mean, it's a different story as to, as to why we can't meet this target. Um, it's, it's clear it's because there isn't the political will to reduce carbon emissions across the, across the world, both in the developed world and increasingly in the developing world as well, where you know, emissions are increasing very strongly. 
and you mentioned sea level rise as one of the topics that you're working on. Um, in terms of global temperature rise, how does that correlate? Does that change linearly, or does the effects of sea level rise get even worse for incremental changes or increases in the temperature? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question, really. It depends if there's such things as tipping points, you know, where, where you can push, say, the Antarctic ice sheet to a situation where you get a sort of catastrophic retreat of the, of the grounding line where the ice starts to float as it moves off the continent. Those things are um, certainly at the forefront of research at the moment. The, the one huge problem with sea level is that there is so much long-term uh, timescales, you know, we're talking sort of at least 100-year timescales in the system, that there's already a built-in degree of sea level rise simply from the um, warming that's taken place since the beginning of the 20th century. So even if we, we, we could somehow stabilize temperatures at the present day, sea level would continue rising for the next 100 years, probably by something like uh, 40 or 50 centimeters. So there's very, very little we can do about that uh, amount of sea level rise. The worry is, of course, if the, uh, particularly the Antarctic ice sheet uh, starts to retreat in a very uncontrollable way, we could easily be looking at a metre or more by the year 2100. So scientists have predicted that uh, coastal cities uh, will get inundated based on the projections of sea level rise. Uh, how realistic are they? And are actions being taken to mitigate the potential flooding and disasters? Uh, yes, I, I think they are, and, and a lot of countries are doing significant planning for that. You know, there's already a, uh, initiatives across Europe, I think, and in, in China, I know, as well, to improve the, the sea level defences. And, and to, uh, another huge problem is, in countries like China, that a lot of new building of cities is being done on land that is extremely close to high tide at the moment and the, these lands were not occupied because there was already a known risk of flooding and of course the sea level rise that you get uh, increases the likelihood of, of storm surges from hurricanes or, or just regular storms breaching any defense. Basically we find that if you increase sea level by about by one foot or 30 centimeters, a, a flood that might have occurred once in a thousand years then occurs maybe once in 10 years. It makes a big, big difference to the flood risk. The IPCC recently came out with their report, the fifth assessment report or AR5. What are your thoughts on their findings and uh, how should we respond to them? Well, yeah, I, I think the, the, the last, the AR5, the IPCC AR5, was the first time that geoengineering had been discussed by the IPCC. And uh, I, I think a lot of scientists, climate scientists, are very, very reluctant to talk about geoengineering because it, it takes um, some kind of a, a feeling that we might not have to mitigate CO2 as much if we, if we have a sort of plan B, a magic bullet that can somehow solve our problem. But I, I think, having researched geoengineering now for, uh, for five or six years, that it's really not like that at all. That the more you look at geoengineering, the more you realize that 
it's a choice between bad and worse. The good is to remove the CO2. The bad and the worse are business and as usual or geoengineering. And we don't know which one of those is going to be the worst. But um, it's certain that if you do a geoengineering type of approach, you're going to have some unexpected and unwelcome side effects for people somewhere in the world. So uh, it's absolutely needed that we, that governments indeed get serious about uh, CO2 mitigation. Uh, what about the policy implications um, from, from this report? I guess the job of science is, is separate from the job of polit- politics, but right. it's, it's certainly clear that uh, I think that scientists realize that maybe more clearly than a lot of politicians that you do have to take this thing seriously and make some kind of unpleasant decisions sometime. Right. I'm, I'm, the reason why I came to China fundamentally is because here governments can make decisions that may appear to be unpopular in the short term, but they have a sort of a long-term plan. And and what happens in the longer term is much more important than what happens in five years and, and you know, the next election kind of a time scale. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, uh, you know, people in governments in China, they are breathing the same air as everybody else. They can see how damaging this kind of rapid industrialization is. And... Uh, they have made big promises about cleaning the place up. If you clean the place up from pollution, that automatically means you, you, you also reduce your CO2 emissions because you have to move to cleaner energy all around. Professor Moore, thank you so much uh, for your insights today. Uh, and I hope you can continue your great work. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure we will. We've got this, uh, this big Chinese geoengineering research program, so it's going to produce a lot over the next uh, three or four years. Okay, great. Thanks again. Yeah, it's a pleasure chatting as well. Uh, Very nice. And we were just talking to Dr. John Moore from the Joint Center for Global Change Studies in Beijing, China. We were talking about stratospheric aerosols and how they could be used to control hurricanes. To learn more about his work, you can check it out in the recent edition of the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more fundamental science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook, and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music.